hey all, just a quick update before this episode. The news section is a little bit outdated. Drew Barrymore, Bill Maher, and other talk show hosts have rolled back their plans to return without writers. Uh, Unity is also revising its controversial install fee. Um, but that said, we felt that the conversation around these topics is still a conversation worth having, and the ideas and concerns we expressed hold true. So just keep that in mind as you listen, that this is not the most current information, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to But Why Though, the podcast, a roundtable conversation about all things pop culture with members of the But Why Though writing staff. I'm your host, Alex, and I'm joined this week by Matt and Kate. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hello. Uh, and this week, we're going to be talking about the tomato meter and specifically the Vulture article by Lane Brown, The Decomposition of Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and there's a lot to unpack. So we're going to get into the news and we're going to do it quick because, again, there's just a lot to go through with that Rotten Tomatoes article. But let's do it. So first thing, I think the obvious thing, we talk about it every week, the strike is going strong. Yeah, we're at. Does anyone know the count at this point? It's over 100 days. I think it's like it's, yeah, it's over 100 something. It's about almost yeah, five so, months from when I've got gathered. Yeah, and that means that we are well past where the 2007-2008 strike went. Um, and uh, it seems like the studios are just kind of continuing to try to do like some, you know, union busting, discouragement, misinformation. Um, but the bigger development is that now we have big names scabbing. Oh, Drew. We were rooting yeah. for you. I know. <laughs> we weren't rooting for you, Bill, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so Drew Barrymore and Bill Mayer both have resumed their talk shows um without writers whatever that means um think saying that you know basically th these are not struck work and they can continue but as far as i know at least with drew her show is through a studio that is struck so the show itself is struck correct yes yes exactly um and then i don't know enough about mayor but matt what can you tell us about that? Oh, I'm just assuming it's the same, basically the same thing. Yeah, HBO struck. Yeah, yeah Warner HBO Brothers is struck. struck. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, so if he's on HBO, yeah. Warner Brothers, yeah, it's it's all struck. Um, they're resuming, basically saying, no writers, we're going to do it anyway. This is what has to happen. A lot of people are trying to use the argument of, well, they want to see their staff get paid and their, you know, uh, their, their crews paid. But there's other ways to do that. There's, you know the fund that you could donate to and all these other things you could be doing. Uh, but instead they are scabbing and continuing on with their shows. Uh, Drew so far has had, I think two people were thrown out of her first recording for having WGA strike pins. And then I read a thing that allegedly a bunch of people got searched leaving the second recording and had WGA strike stuff confiscated. Yes. So very cool vibes, Drew. You know what the problem we need to do? We got to get rid of talk shows. I mean, I'm not against that, but I am either. on a podcast, so I should be. Because <laughs> what is this but a talk show without cameras? I mean, we have that, and then we want to go to Jimmy, who also just ended up being terrible, but you know. Oh, yeah, the Jimmy found All talk show hosts just got to go. I mean, yeah, that's 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 fair. Do we, we all remember James yeah. Gordon. Oh, gosh. We, we got rid of him. Don't bring him back. <laughs> Uh, but now, I mean, continuing on, in the new, I mean, the news trends are just that everybody is a bad person all around because there's those three and then there is unity and their big pricing change. Matt, do you want to explain that? I like how Kate looked at that. Kate go, uh, no. Um, so essentially, Kate, do you want to explain it? Because that was a, that was a very big reaction. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'll let you go. Uh, for, obviously, we don't have all the full details because unity is being as vague and reclarifying. Probably they probably since we started recording have re, -re mm -hmm. at least six times. 
but they're basically trying to look like they want to get install fees for the main is the main thing to where it's, if, it's 20 cents per install and it doesn't matter if the person had already installed it previously right well i think the clarification the latest clarification of now they're saying if you do if it's a duplicate reinstall it doesn't count but that doesn't but if you also if you reinstall it on different devices it does count but also they're tracking fraudulent but they don't know what that is but also if it's for charitable purposes which i don't know how you know what difference is between a charity down installing a non-charitable install is um that also doesn't count but also we have no idea how that data is being collected as they just said trust us um which yeah which means that there's potentially they're just injecting something into the code to know when a game has been installed but yeah and then also demos don't count but partial demos or partial demos don't count but full demos do count or don't count. I don't really know. They started making up weird terms for okay. demos. Kate, did you understand that part at all? Yeah, so early access counts, demos yes. demos don't count. Anything well, I know, that but, essentially is Well, they said, play. but if you had access from a demo to the full game, eventually that did count, though. Oh, that I didn't see. But I don't know okay. what that means exactly. So I don't all know if I... So like, there are games where like you can transfer your demo progress to the main game? Yeah, probably. Maybe. Anyway, I, I will say, like, to this point, though, like, the reason this is really big is Unity is one of the most accessible um, game engines for developers to get in on. It has both a 2D and 3D piece. A lot mm-hmm. of indie games are built on Unity for this reason, because not every um, development course teaches object-oriented, like, developing, and you need yeah. it a lot for 3D three D work, and especially in work like Unreal. Um and Unity has some pretty big games that it is the ba- that it's the engine for. Genshin's one of them. Fortnite's one of them. Um, but as you kind of pull back and you look, like Unity is the backbone of backbone of the indie game industry. Yep. Um, and now they want people to start paying this extra fee. Exactly, and that's a problem because you, if you look at something like Code of the Lamb, Code of the Lamb, I mean. It, well, I guess it has Devolver. But anyway, you look at a game, indie breakout stars, you're not factoring in making in as much money as you are. A lot of them sell their games and let it be downloaded for free on something like Game Pass or the Epic Games Store. But then mm-hmm. if it hits like wildfire and they sell 7 million copies, this small studio that barely had like barely met its margins anyway yep. is now on the hook for paying back all of these things when they don't make a profit from their game downloads because they've sold the rights to Epic for a set fee. So that's like one yeah. of the big issues here is a lot of indie games, especially because it is very hard to get discovered when they publish, they publish for a fee on a platform. That platform gives you a solid rate and then you take that as your money. Now this works and it's helped the indie the indie, the indie space thrive because they don't have to worry about consistently making sales. They can take a flat rate and put mm-hmm. the game out and it relieves a lot of burden. Unity said no. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so like just to run the numbers on, on the scenario you just pitched, like say you sell your game to Epic for $3 million and then it takes off. You sell 7 million copies and now you owe $1.4 million of the 3 million that you made on the sale. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and it's like, oh, what a cool position to put people in. Well, then yeah, the like, weird thing is there was the weird report that came out that, that somehow Unity was just going to charge Microsoft and Apple and Sony for this. And I was like, okay, based on what? 
And it, for all I know, I mean, they can do it legally. I have no idea because this is so vague of was, like weird understanding. But it was like, oh, we're just going to make people, them, they're going to pay for it for us. I, and it was like, how? It how? was big Mexico's going to pay for the wall energy. And- oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it also, it how does it, you know, interact with something like Steam's return policy? Yeah. So like I, I buy the game, I download it, I install it. Now they owe twenty cents on the sale, but then I once play again it for 10 allegedly minutes. according to that that might not count because they have the that theft. might not count. Okay, but once again, we and don't the have the, they don't have any. Well, so here's here's the thing: for them to account for all of these fringe scenarios means that they are realistically collecting an uncomfortable amount of data for oh, yes. the company that just provided the engine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like that should be another thing that's setting off a lot of red flags. But you haven't figured out what they do with actual like cheats and pirated copies and how does that work? Because now you're not even making money and people are just downloading your game. So somehow from, they so know what the they code. Said, so from what they said specifically was that if your game was downloaded fraudulently, so that would be that space, then you wouldn't get charged, but you had to submit those as individual case-by-case basis. So but, they were going to go find all the pirates. But that meant the developer now have to go put resources exactly. in finding the yep. fraud, fraudulent thing to then go yeah. prove that they don't have to pay for this. And by that point, also, you does, might have already paid more money than you did trying to that. Well, exactly. And also, Unity definitely doesn't have a department to process, you know, even let's say one game, small scenario. And Unity did with, a layoff. Like, Unity well, laid yeah, you off get... a substantial amount of their workforce this who, year. Who is going to process 15,000 fraudulent tickets after your game hits, like, whatever, you know, torrenting site? And now this company has to go through. It's they bad. have to individually file well, 15,000, and you get to process it? The, the easy answer here is that they don't care. They're not going to yeah, backtrack I mean, it true. past these things because Unity is the backbone of many game development studios it's the backbone of many college programs yep. like yeah. for like the schools that i work with now the bulk of them are working in both like unity 3d or unreal and like all of those unity games that they're developing what's gonna happen to them yeah like what are this like what are the schools gonna do what are like it, they're decimating mm-hmm. the entire mid mid tier of of game development and yep. the thing is is once you've made a game that's years of work in one engine. It is not yep. a copy paste to a new engine. It's a little mm-hmm. bit easier if it's 3D to 3D, but you can't take 2D Unity <laughs> and take it to a new home. And like you yeah. have to rebuild everything that you just did. And that is unsustainable. And when you're a studio, mm-hmm. that's how you end up going out of business. Yeah. Well, because what else they're doing is essentially because they're like, this doesn't go into effect till January 1st, 2024. But they're going to backdate. This is big Reddit API changes. Yeah, yeah. But they're also going to backdate this stuff to where they're like, we won't charge you for anything that was downloaded in 2023. But where you, but if you've got 200,000 downloads in 2023, you automatically start at the threshold above it. And so now you pay going forward. And so, and it tracked through lifetime. And so, which we've already seen digital devolvers say we're just going to rip our games off the store you're not buying it anymore because yeah, of the lamb specifically said january 1st they're off the store yeah as of right now so they're gone now yeah they supposedly said they're gone i mean digi- good to know actually but also depending on as we said like because w- i think digital devolver's been big because they're in that weird like we're a large publisher for indie game mm-hmm. but we're not microsoft or sony rich no. and so like we're good for, especially we're very big for indie games and so I think they've already said, like, when you pitch your game, you, we need to know your engine now. And so, and like, the worst thing it's going to do outside of if they don't reverse it, outside of, 
things, if even if they try to send a bill to Microsoft and they don't take it, is I just don't think these companies, Microsoft, D Digital Evolve, or any of the publishers, they're just not going to take your game. It's yeah. not worth it for them. One, either they're going to get billed and they're not want to pay for it, or two, you're gonna they're going to have to deal with all this other stuff and they're not going to want to deal with it either. That's the other thing too, like outside of like having um game uh Game Pass pay or Xbox pay for it because of Game Pass or Epic Game Store pay for it because of Epic. Um, I don't think they actually defined if uh there's a difference between a developer who developed the game pain or the mm -hmm. publisher who publishes the game pays. And that's okay. kind of well. A big they tried to well. start by saying that it was going to be the developer, but then people said, "Well, how are you?" Or by the the developer wasn't going to pay. It's going to be the publisher. But then people kind yeah. of like said, "This feels like Mexico's going to pay for it." Energy. How are you going to make a publisher pay for it? Because they're it's not their game. That's not their engine. Yeah. They don't. They they didn't this, do anything. You know that that scene in Always Sunny where Charlie has his mom read the letter about wanting money. <laughs> where it's just like me need money more money me now. that's what this is like there is no thought behind this it is dead behind the eyes just asking for money from whoever will give it to them learning that this was the guy that started the eventual downfall of fifa hurts a lot because i i is knew I, yes because it was it's, the guy who basically one of the older people for loot boxes yeah his name okay. is john riditiello i do not know if that's said correctly i also don't care because he's killing an industry i'll mispronounce yeah. your name um but yeah apparently he had also thrown around the idea that he wanted people to pay a dollar for more ammo in battlefields so i remember all this stuff when he was at ea i just forgot the guy's name i remember seeing the shareholder meeting the guy report oh, ceo says all this I didn't know John. There's 20 million John CEOs, and so he apparently moved on to Unity, and now we're doing things. Also, we haven't got into like the stock manipulation drop of like apparently there's a bunch of dumping in the stock before it kind of plummeted like nine percent yesterday. I still think the stock's, eh, but apparently it's a very good buy now, which is kind of the stop manipulation. Yeah. You dumped it all, what all the thing crash? You're gonna, I think they're gonna buy it all back, revert all the changes, and pop pop it right back up. I think one of the the things for me looking outside of like the the digital devolver stuff, which I think have, have mm -hmm. kind of gotten like the bulk of it because they're the largest, like one of the larger indie publishers. Um, Agro Crab Games, like Agro Crab, is a game that is like I think it's one of the most like watched games on Game Pass. They're gonna release mm -hmm. on Game Pass in twenty twenty four. They've been consistently across most anticipated list like they are going to sell or you know get downloaded like gangbusters and now they have to rethink yep. everything because they were going to go for free on game pass yeah like, they really got to back out of that because yeah. also how so, often do people install a game from game pass and then not actually play yeah. it also, um, I used to do that all the time just so I could get the Bing achievements and rewards. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, oh, yep. Nope, I've done that. <laughs> I was going to say also to Crow Agro Crab, quote, I fucking hate it here, unquote. Uh, they released a statement. <laughs> that was how they ended it. Um, also, I think that Mega that was... Crit. Get their oh, statement in here. Yeah, Mega Crit from Slay the Spire. One, they've been developing a new game for two years, and they're going to be moving it off of Unity, which is, it, it, that's a monumental undertaking. Yep. Um, And then the end of their statement was, quote, we have never made a public statement before. This is how badly you fucked up. End quote. <laughs> and, and there is, like, the one thing that is coming from this is there is... A unified and at this point i've said the f-bond too many times on our podcast whatever apple um 
there has been a big f you coming from the entire like indie game developer space like i don't think that there is a and there probably is because people are trash but overwhelmingly there hasn't been any like oh yeah you know what unity should take my money there's Um, there is some anime avatar out there simping for unity right now Um, but, uh, it is, I think there are very few things that move the industry and not just an anime Mm -hmm. avatar behind their computer in one, like, solidified force. And I think that that has at least been the thing that has been refreshing and hopefully does. Oh, totally. In, in a good world, they would win and Unity would backtrack everything, but we live in this timeline and I do not think Unity is going to back down. I think everybody is going to have to shift their games away and yeah. I, I mean, I like they lose nothing. If you don't sell your game, yeah. Unity loses nothing. Yeah. That's what we call what we did through all the 2010s with all of Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, yeah. Unity, where we built these platforms, mm-hmm. sold them for very cheap, made them, monopolized everything out. And then now that we have the monopoly, we're gonna we gutted them. them. We yeah. gut every, we gut everybody. Yay, or we got the functionality. Capitalism. Yes. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah, no. Gotta love it. Anyways, so much for quick news, but that was all very worth getting into. Uh, but now for the main show, and this is the what was it the decomposition of rotten tomatoes um and this is basically you guys read the article or did you just read the hot take tweets about it i read the article because of the hot take tweets yeah yes. the, so uh if you want to give people a quick primer what so the article is about how rotten tomatoes interacts with pr in hollywood is what it's trying to do um but what was the piece of it that people walked away with and tweeted so the main part, I mean, there's a lot in this article, but for some reason, the main part people took away from it is there's a small indie PR studio that was apparently paying people 50 bucks to give positive yes. reviews for movies I've never even heard of. Yeah. And Which so is a problem, like, to be honest, but also oh, like... Oh, yeah. And that's really only the jumping off point, too. And what's... Here's the interesting thing, and I'm, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself, is the guy in the article says when these reviews were brought up to Rotten Tomatoes... They removed them. Yeah. So it's it's not even a, I don't know. It's a weird thing. The issue is with the PR company, not with Rotten Tomatoes, but everyone's talking about Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah, let's get into this. The first issue that he cites is basically PR leverages Rotten Tomato. Like the, the tomato meter score, the certified fresh, like, you know, they'll limit reviews of movies to make sure they have the highest percentage possible and, and all this stuff. And, um, if you guys could explain to me how that is Rotten Tomatoes' fault. <laughs> it's not. It's <laughs> called how we use a tool. Um, I'll finish. I'll let you finish going through the, the issues. I have many, many thoughts. Yeah. So, yeah, the, this is just a, a very brief flyover of, of the article. But, yeah, so, um, th- you know, because they'll pro- promote a movie with it's certified fresh instead of having a quote from Siskel and Ebert or whatever. Um, and the company in question is Bunker 15, which is, is it was a PR firm. Is that right? Yes. Waste what they yeah, got. So, I don't know. I've never, I yeah, didn't know they existed. And so there's, yeah, there's Bunker 15 films, like movies affiliated with them. And supposedly that's where they're paying. So, um, and it's, you know, 50 bucks for a review. The guy takes issue with paying for reviews in general, which again is against Rotten Tomatoes financial incentive policy. Like it's not allowed. Um, but he, interestingly, and this is just something that stuck out to me as someone who has, you know, seen how this works. He says absolutely nothing about press packages that people get mailed to them. 
where it's like, you know, here's a bottle of like decently nice tequila and some glasses and like a shirt and yada, yada, yada. Um, but because that's not money, it's apparently not buying your review. So what sucks is like if you can be bought by a bottle of tequila, like probably shouldn't I be a critic. That, yeah, you probably shouldn't be a critic. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I think that's all dumb. I I mean, if you can be but, bought for fifty bucks, you shouldn't be. Well, a critic. yes, no, exactly. But but like, and that's what it is. It's kind of like I think if you're gonna talk about one thing, you have to talk about all things. And the truth is, mm-hmm. the majority of critics, and I would say the majority of critics, not just in Rotten Tomato, but anybody who is a part of a critics association do get for your consideration packages that have those nice bottles of wine and big coffee table books and a bunch mm-hmm. of other stuff um, that go in the trash. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I have gone to exclusively one early screening of a movie. Um, well, that's not true. I've done uh, like film festival stuff, but I did one where it was at a theater and there was like, this is for press and literally they did nothing to make it special. You that's how the there. majority of them are. That, and that's like, that's how it should be. It's like, you get there. They don't even, like, give you popcorn. They're just, like, movies in there, starts in five minutes, and that was yeah. it. Like, No, that's the, that's the vast majority of it. I, I think for me, I do not think that this is as, like, it is an issue as in this should not be happening. You should not be paid for a review. But I yep. do not think that this is as big an issue as some of the other issues that we have actually going on in the industry. Because I can tell you right now, Miss Bala got tanked and those PR people tried to get everybody trashed before they saw it. It did not help the movie. <laughs> and I think that like that is the large thing is like, yeah, cool. Like sometimes they do something special for press to go watch it. Um, like doing a mixer before, doing a mixer after. Yep. And those are fun, but ultimately like, the because there are so many people in Rotten Tomatoes, you're not gonna get everybody in there with a tequila shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get me to watch a movie with tequila shot. I'm I'll write watch about it. it. I'm not gonna write it. I'm not gonna review. <laughs> which it well the thing? Bad. Which obviously we probably get into more. But the funny thing is, I personally don't have a problem with some of this stuff because at the end of the day, the writers people are the poor ones, and so getting that T-shirt is cool because. The mm-hmm. real people who make the money are also getting reviews, and they get a lot of different things. Yeah. Like and that's are, when we get the influencers, which we'll probably get into which in a different area. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and so, yeah, so the last thing that the guy talks about is um, how Rotten Tomatoes made some intentional moves to broaden the scope of who is allowed to be a tomato-certified, you know, reviewer. And so... Uh, the the thing he points to in this is that it seems to be a move to benefit blockbusters because blockbuster movie reviews are trending like 10% higher than they used to, which is still like 60% instead of 50%. Uh, we See, here's where we're going to go back and forth on this because I don't disagree that blockbusters made out the best. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I seen some of the people they put on there and which actually yeah let's let's real quick get into the movie that he talks about which was ophelia starring daisy ridley which was a uh different perspective take on hamlet and he talks about how it on rotten tomatoes started with um 13 reviews seven of them negative and then eight reviews got added after bunker 15 did some campaign for it and seven of those were positive mm-hmm. and now it's at 62 percent instead of like 43 percent and this is like the this is the big thing that he points to is like here's the corruption, is this snapshot of an indie film that most people have not heard of, uh, that got eight reviews. Which actually okay, we're gonna do a quick detour, and this is a game called How many reviews did this movie get? I pulled up a bunch of movies, and 
because uh, I, I realized that part of this, because he talks about, you know, well, the movie scores are too generous now and yada, yada, yada. Um, but realizing how few reviews some movies used to get on Rotten Tomato. Yeah. Um, so just guess, 1995's Jumanji had a 52% critic rating, 63% audience rating. How many critic reviews did it get? 1995? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say 39. 40. 46. 46. Not too bad. Um, (laughs) By comparison, 250,000 audience reviews. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, 2017, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, 76%, 87% for uh, audience. How many reviews? 238. Matt, you're so close. It's 240. <laughs> well, because I know the average movie takes about 240 to 250 reviews, yep. depending on how popular they are. Um, I look way too that, much at this so data. That's, <laughs> that's what was so interesting, though, is this guy's talking about, like, well, they paid for eight reviews and da 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 And so we have 2009 Star Trek, 356 reviews. Hereditary, 385 reviews. Top Gun Maverick, 477 reviews. Well, and this is the other thing that, like, I really need people to understand is you are not limited by a time frame when a movie comes out to put out mm-hmm. your review for Rotten Tomatoes. So while there may be limited press access, limited press lists, whether it's streaming or not, once a movie is out in the wild, if you have, if you are accredited or you're writing for an accredited site, your review will go up for that movie. No matter when that review is, published. it gets added. Yeah. Yeah. And it also counts capsule reviews. And I think for me, like the issue that I get frustrated when we look at the way that it functions is that like not a lot of people watch indie film i'm sorry like when it comes oh, yeah. to, and, and and this is an issue more largely because like we cover a lot of international films on the site i go to put our reviews on rotten tomatoes two reviews four reviews sometimes and that's sometimes mm-hmm. all it will ever get because american critics do not review those films yep. and so like when you pull the scope out is we are in an internet landscape where the things that they make money are the things that everybody is going to go see. So more writers mm-hmm. are going to get commissioned to do reviews for the blockbusters. More people are going to choose to cover that over choosing an indie film because at the end of the day, their website has to make money. And yes. all of those things go into how many that you get. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing is like so, when you start looking at the numbers that these blockbusters are pulling in, you know, it's it's so much harder to tip the scale because when it's 500 reviews, the number of people you need to win over to tip that movie 5% forward or 5% back is way bigger than something like Ophelia, which launched with 13 reviews. Yeah. Okay. I guess... Matt, did you have a thought? No, just the, I guess the last issue, I guess, before we, I guess we get into like deep diving into some of these, yeah, yeah. Know, we kind of went into the broad and the scope thing of just like, I don't think the average person understands what Rotten Tomatoes does, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. Like, let's talk about like the, the role of Rotten Tomatoes in all of this. So it is a review aggregator, much like Metacritic. Um, open what critic. are other ones? Because I'm drawing a blank. Uh, open Critic, <laughs> Metacritic, uh, Comic Book Roundup. I'm just going through the other random ones there mm-hmm. are. Technically, obvious. IMDb is an IMDb aggregator is technically well. an oh, aggregator. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, honestly, anytime that you log into Netflix and it's like, we're pretty sure picks. that you're going to like this, they are like the algorithm that's recommending yeah. you things is a review aggregator based on your viewing habits and other people's. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And what an aggregator is, is it takes all the reviews and it, it through whatever mathematical process it wants to use, gives you 
like the vibe. It reads the room for you of how people tend to feel about something. Um, which the the article argues that it desensitizes us to to reviews and the voice of the individual critic. Um, which I mean, I can kind of see it, but also I feel like people who are paying attention to movie reviews will still find themselves gravitating to a so, reviewer that they like or trust. Is that I, wrong? So that's the one thing that I don't I don't necessarily disagree with. I think that because of the way social media has made everything consumable within small bursts, that is what people want from their reviews. That's why we have a review review box on Mm -hmm. our site. So you can scroll down to the bottom, see the score, see the blurb. Like, but that's because that's how people consume things. So yes, I do think, I don't think it's Rotten Tomatoes fault. I think there are a wealth of other things. I do think Rotten Tomatoes is a contributing factor, but I do think that the majority of people just read that pull quote and then do not touch the review at all Mm -hmm. outside of that. Um, I I mean, you can even look at referral clicks that happened from it. Yeah. Um, There was an interesting quote in the article from uh, Paul Schrader, I think reviewer filmmaker um, where he was saying, you know, there could be a review that says he doesn't pull off what he's trying to do, but he, it's really interesting how he doesn't pull it off. And it's like, is that a good review or not? Yeah. And that's a fair question. And Rotten Tomatoes, does and the article points this out it does lack that nuance like i'm not going to say that rotten tomatoes is this flawless you know structure of reviews but um it one thing it doesn't do is it doesn't account for nuance to reviews it's either yes you liked it or no you didn't yeah it's fine so rotten tomatoes is weird because rotten tomatoes is the best aggregator when which it it comes to inclusivity and stuff of like the amount of people and getting an actual (laughs) large data number which we'll talk about with broaden the scope rotten tomatoes also the worst aggregator because it literally does yes or no which means if this movie has 10 three-star ratings which is three out of like you know three out of five or whatever or we'll go six out of Mm ten that's a hundred percent fresh versus one movie that has like nine you know or like four out of five stars but then a two star it's all of a sudden an 80 but like it's clearly it's a real 60 percent of the time it works every time yeah like the the, the middle movies which is where we see you can argue probably some of the blockbusters of lately, these middle movies that fall in this meta fine range, these sixes and sevens mm-hmm. really get a lot of boost from Metacritic because you're like, this is not a bad movie. It's just not great. And yeah. so it falls in this middle range. And so depending on whether you decide to flip a coin on yourself or somebody found an interesting plot, or maybe there's a scene that you're like, screw it. I like this scene a lot fresh, but there, yeah. Yeah, except there is no nuance, but it also leaves a lot of these meta to mid movies do benefit a lot of times from Mm -hmm. Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like it's, I I think the thing with a lot of like online reviews and aggregators is at least for me, I am not looking to be told whether or not I should see a movie. Um, I am with how expensive it is to go to the movies, kind of looking for whether or not this is one to wait on, you know, like that's, that's really what it is. Which sucks because I think the Metacritic scale and the way Metacritic does it is a lot better. Because they their number that they spit out is how the average score of everybody's that they given. So like if it's an eight point five, that means the average score out of these ratings are an eight point five. The problem is with Metacritic, um, mm-hmm. they only take people who have names of like Post and Gazette and Dispatch. Yeah, like the majority of them are, are are like actual like print. Yeah, they're like stuff that came around from like nineteen eighty five. Like if you if you want to complain about like white guys telling you about movies, that is Metacritic. Yeah, and that's the problem with Metacritic. Oh, they yeah. have not expanded anything, and there's only like hundred twenty five publications. And like I said, they're all like the San Francisco Gazette from nineteen fifty nine, the mm-hmm. St. Louis Dispatch. Like who who cares? About yeah, yeah, it's the it's you know the 
for better and for worse, the I think Siskel and like Ebert. there's just like, over a hundred, a hundred critics on it, and I wouldn't even say Siskel and Ebert because Ebert, like Ebert Voices, is actually done a lot of work to be accessible in that. Oh, sorry. Yes, I just meant the two okay. white guys telling you what to think about oh, movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, and uh, and that's the issue because like I think Rotten Tomatoes is an easy thing to throw tomatoes at because it did broaden the scope of who could actually be included in these spaces and the first thing that you can think like there are conversations to be had about like influencers who sometimes do a review video being allowed on rotten tomatoes like there mm-hmm. are things there um people from terrible um hateful organizations being allowed on yep. there but i think like when we look at how rotten tomatoes works there still is a process of applying Mm-hmm. And possibly being denied. And you still have to do it from either an individual standpoint or you do it from a publication standpoint. Um, and since we're talking about, like, how it works, I did want to kind of read out, like, what you need to do. So from a writing standpoint, this doesn't include mm-hmm. video or broadcast, just if you write reviews. In order to be a certified Rotten Tomatoes critic, you have to have consistent review output for a minimum of two years. A minimum of two million visits over six months as reported by, oh, sorry, that's public, ah. Sorry, consistent out review output for two years for an individual writer, demonstrated film slash TV review coverage at a publication outside of a self-published website. However, we will consider critics who solely self-publish if their site and work reflect our key values. That last line was added to accommodate for more diverse voices because film journalism is jobs at trades are hard it's even harder to freelance in film journalism because Mm -hmm. there are there never any openings at variety or deadline or th like all of those places so getting those bylines are hard and if you want to meet people where they are you do have to look more towards those self-published places um Mm -hmm. or not even like when we first started we were considered self-published because we hadn't established a larger editorial board and those types of things um, gotcha. For publications, you have to have had consistent review output for a minimum of two years, a minimum of two million visits over six months as reported by Similar Web qualifies for broad audience reach. Publications reaching underrepresented groups will also be considered on a case-by-case basis. That last part was added um, at Three, at least three individually approved critics contributing to your publication on a regular basis. That means that your publication already has to have approved critics in the ecosystem which i think is actually a really good one to have and it's also a tough one to have when you're first starting Mm -hmm. out and then a demonstrated social media presence and engagement on twitter facebook and or instagram so those are the eligibility requirements and while they may not seem like a lot consistent output for two years is quite a lot lot. two million views is a lot and so even though they have widened some of these things so um say you're a website kind of like ours where like we mainly serve uh, we serve and platform diverse voices it helps us look now we had the numbers to meet it but mm-hmm. that certain edge helps diversify things and that's good oh, for sure yeah so all that to say i feel like what i what i get to is um i'm having a hard time parsing out what this article thought the problem was so to speak like the payment thing is murky but there's other forms of payment it's not critiquing Rotten Tomatoes is providing misinformation. They're not dictating how that gets used by PR companies. Um, the only thing Rotten Tomatoes has actively done is brought into the scope and like let more people in, 
which when that's the issue that you're taking feels a little bit xenophobic, maybe a little not a little not great. Um, so uh, we got from Kate the things that they added to broaden it, like those little here's other qualifications, here's other things. Um, so what was the actual outcome of that, right? And this is all from the article. This isn't even like I'm trying to pull out numbers as a gotcha. Also, this isn't really a takedown of the article. This is just us trying to like present the actual situation, I should say. Um, they added about 1,000 people, and they already had 2,500 people. So they grew it by, you know, a little under a third. Matt, does that math check out? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so according to them, that was, it's about 50% women, um, about 25% people of color. Um, and then they said that if you include disability and LGBTQ communities, um, the overall ad was about 66% underrepresented people groups to the reviewer pool. Which I do want to say you have to add that because Rotten Tomatoes specifically pushed into adding those types of credits, especially after COVID started happening and film accessibility became a larger issue. Gotcha. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's what, that's what broadening the scope meant for Rotten Tomato. And it's, I'm, I ran into this weird thing of like, this guy's talking about how like this manipulates numbers, bringing people in, yada, yada, yada. But it's like, this is all about opinion. And I don't see how adding more opinions to the pool when they're being vetted like this weakens the overall outcome i think the big thing for me and this is kind of what i took away from it is that it almost seems like a case against diversity when yeah. you like strip it down because the thing is is like if you take a movie like blue beetle right a lot of latino mm -hmm. critics rated that higher because we were the target audience and mm -hmm. so when you have a person of the target audience go watch a film you're automatically going to be clicking with them in a way that you won't outside of the target audience. Now, film can, can can succeed outside of its target audience, but sometimes, like, that's not always the case. And so I don't think it lessens it, but you do add more no. people to the pool that have the specific perspective that the film is speaking to. Mm -hmm. And so I think, like, when you look at it, yes, broadening the scope does sometimes change the scores of things, but it's not in the manipulation way that he's talking about. No, not at all. And it's not in the manipulation way where it's like, oh, they let in all these uncultured people and now yeah. the art films are suffering and we are, the blockbusters are thriving. Like, yeah. you just have the alignments. If you, if you see giving black people a voice as manipulating the reviews, that feels yeah. like well, you have more to unpack. Which I think, yeah. to be fair, because even if you go past, like, even just the diversity of things, the big push we also had, which kind of sprung a little bit, you can argue, from the superhero movies, blockbusters, the thing is, mm -hmm. you're, as much as it's like we found, you know, proper diversity people to, you know, film, we also just found people who like specific genres in a lot of times of just yeah. the audience of, like, because the big problem we found with the superhero thing was, cool, you had people, no matter what or who they were, who just hated superhero films, and you went to have mm -hmm. them review it. They they basically shat all over it, and you're good. Yeah. And now you basically, because we've kind of done both of the things of, like, one, we've broadened the horizon and got better diversity inclusive, but you also done it in a broadened horizon of, like, let's give our films better way of, like, hey, I found a person who likes adventure mm -hmm. movies to go review adventure movie. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, and, Kate, how often have you read a horror review that's like, I hate this kind of movie. Let oh, me tell yeah. you about yes. this one. Yeah. And it's like, 
one, you shouldn't be doing that as a publication. Like, you shouldn't be trying to skew it where it's like, well, let's just find someone who's going to give this a good review. But you should be like, well, let's find someone who's knowledgeable about this genre and who actually yeah. cares about well, it. And that's and I think that that's the thing, too, is like I with the broadening of the scope, I think it's sometimes like uh, how do I say this? Like I get reached out to for a lot of action films, like mid action films. Like, hey, hey, I've seen mm-hmm. your writing on X film um, at this festival we have a film that's like also a Korean action film. We think it aligns with the stuff that you usually cover. Do you want this film? And I'm like, okay, cool. But it's because I went to my Rotten Tomatoes page, saw that like I like action movies, and then we're like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Let me give this action movie to the action person. I think similarly, like again, a long identity lines that also happens. But what happens as well is I think that the broadening of the scope. That doesn't. That also doesn't always mean that we're gonna be able to add our reviews day of, or like when embargo yeah. breaks. And I think one of the best examples for that is Wonder Woman, in which when mm. it came out, it was certified fresh, and then that was very specifically because there were no women of color who. It could be correlation versus causation, but it was a very mm-hmm. limited pool of people who got to review that movie. Um, and I had some shady stuff happen with my copy of one of, of my screener for Wonder Woman. But what that shows is that like, even as much as we've widened the doors, like it isn't always a guaranteed thing. And I, I, so I do think like when you look at the broadening of the scope, like you can broaden the scope all you want. PR still kind of controls who gets access and who does yeah. what. And so that that's kind of the big thing for me. The guy is talking about how, oh, like this company manipulated things and yada, yada, yada. And maybe what he was trying to get to is that Rotten Tomatoes has positioned us in such a way that we can plainly see PR manipulation. Like if I'm going to give him the most generous read, this article is about how PR is, you know, whatever. Um, but like he talks in it about how PR also manipulates things by restricting who can see it. Or I think one example he gave was a movie that, they had like enough reviews to get rot, you know, to go live on Rotten Tomato. And they were like, well, let's not have anyone else review it because right now we're batting a thousand and we want to launch at that 100% certified fresh. So we're going to intentionally hold back until the movie is out and then let more people review it. And it's like, so a company paying $50 for somebody to say whether or not Daisy Ridley did good in a Hamlet movie, sin, just unforgivable. But PR companies doing things like that or film studios doing things like that. I don't think he says it's necessarily passable, but he seems to take less of an issue with it or see it as more of an annoyance. And I I think that like, when you look at like the stuff that he says in the article specifically, that kind of undercut undercuts the broadening of the scope too. He's doing the same thing that the PR companies are. Yeah. Well, and he, there's just some contradictory stuff in there too. Like, cause he talks about, how movies go live with five reviews and it's not representative. And it's like, so you agree that small numbers are not representative. Um, And he seems to have an understanding that if you go by like old school publications and traditional film review, it's largely a bunch of white dudes. So he like, he's identifying all these problems and identifying how Rotten Tomatoes tried to fix it. And yet somehow it just came out on Twitter of like, Hey, look at this company that like, I don't know, pays, people who aren't straight white guys to give good reviews to their movies. Is that kind of where Twitter ran? Uh, yes and no. I think that it's more with the paid and they didn't care about the other part. Yeah. Know. They didn't even, I don't think which, they even made it past that part. Yeah. I mean, which is, I mean, cause the funny thing is you talk about the, I guess we talked about the fuck, going back to, I guess, broaden the strobe thing of just like the 
blockbuster movies and reviewing higher of i do think film criticism is at an all-time low personally yeah. i like we look at home of the people thing and they're like three thousand people like it sucks because i think we need to get more voices but i don't think there's a lot of good critics on there to be honest um yeah. i don't think i think we have a lot of people who basically which you've mentioned in the film who are just basically fan websites or just fan written people Mm -hmm. um i've met people like that i know people and we, we know that you're gonna give the next marvel movie an eight out of ten i don't have to do anything else i don't have to tell you anything else and i mm -hmm. think that is a problem i think the problem we went is how we went about it of what we said of like diversity bad because i think including the scope we are going to get difference and because we have seen things but it just seems weird of like it's like we see certain movies do do very well and part of the stuff we and do very badly um, art house films do tend to do bad, but also you could argue as much as that's a diversity, like white guy thing, and also just say it's also just an old person thing, um, mm -hmm. which is because like it's funny because we started this with like the 1995 thing, and what we've seen to be fair is a lot of the older movies that have gone back that have actually dropped over the years, as much mm -hmm. for every it's weird because the weird movies that originally got bombed seem to go up which obviously because of just numbers in general but like us growing as kids we thought these were cool movies and we weren't that adults hated mm -hmm. them which we've seen go up but you've also seen a lot of the movies adults have that people get in their coat backwards have also gone down and it's because one there's just a time gap of like what is standards of movies and what we have expectations mm -hmm. for and what we are and so it's weird because i do think at some point there is something in there of like I don't think everybody in there is that great of a <laughs> critic, to be honest. Yeah. But it is one of those, with the large numbers, you can obviously try to focus in things and out. Of, like, it kind of mm -hmm. just comes out in the yeah. wash. No, I mean, I, I it's, it's like when I mentioned, like, including, like, some influencers who maybe do a review here and there on the Rotten Tomatoes, which has happened. Um, or I think, like, The Sound of Freedom, when that QAnon movie came out. And then oh, yeah. you saw, like, reviews from, like, Epoch Times and, like, actual, like, Nazi-adjacent websites, like, reviewing mm -hmm. it on Rotten Tomatoes. It was like, oh, why did you let the Nazis in? This is because they had Because they, they went and found a freelancer that had a Rotten Tomatoes thing, and yeah. they said, hey, come, we'll pay you for this review. Not even, like, the actual, yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. so that that's the big thing is like the guy, the, the thing that he almost dances up to, but doesn't really get into is that if there is a concern to be raised, it's over, um, I don't know, like credibility. Is that the word for it? Of like, is this person actually capable of, you know, cause I can, I can write movie reviews for two years. That doesn't guarantee that they're actually thoughtful critiques. Well, right. And I think that like, so going through, like having gone through the Rotten Tomatoes process and like knowing like what you have to like prepare for them, like you have to prepare samples of writing and they have to read. And if you only write for one publication, most of the time they will not let you in because you haven't been edited by different people and they can't tell if it's the editor mm -hmm. writing for you or the writer writing yeah. for you, writing for it. And so like, I think that there are enough guards in there to judge on quality, like the quality of what's being written. Mm -hmm. But I also think that like quality is subjective. Like one of the critics orgs mm -hmm. I'm in for my city um, they do blind, blind reading, right? They take off the names. Nobody knows who they are. But every year, it's only white people getting in with, like, hmm. a person of color maybe here or there. I don't know how many people of color are applying, whatever. But I do think that, like, there is a bias that happens because object, like, reviews are subjective. 
when you read reviews, what you like and what you don't like is also subjective. And mm -hmm. so it, it sucks because it's kind of like I'm more in the let it fall out in the wash like piece where it's like yeah. you can't restrict so much because there are so many biases that people have. Mm -hmm. But I think what's been getting murkier and murkier, especially with a lot of the fan sites that happen, especially with Disney putting a lot of money into activations and flying people out and all of those things, you're ending up in situations where like we can objectively say taking money or services for your review in which you are always positive on. Like if you have done 10 reviews and been flown out for those 10 movies and all of those movies are eight to eight, eight, eight out of tens to 10 out of tens. There's a trend happening that should be investigated. And I'm not even talking about like Bunker 15, 15 but like a lot of like the MCU yeah. fan sites that wind up on there. And I think that like it's a difficult kind of like Matt said where it's like there is an importance of broadening the scope from a diversity standpoint. And I think that the way this mm -hmm. the way this person's writing and the way he questioned credibility immediately after he talked about the diversity numbers that's what's frustrating to me because I don't think he was calling into account the general credibility of like the process of getting in, which he never really engages in with. Yeah. With he, he doesn't talk no. about the fact that people get vetted. He yeah. very much makes it sound like they're letting anybody in here. These exactly. Days. Exactly. And I think it's a nuanced conversation, but I do think it's one that like when you take his words and where he chooses to put the credibility question in. I'm just kind of like, dude, do you not want diversity in movies? In well, movies? the funny yeah, that, thing we talk about weird. of like, we kept talking about like talking about prep packages and pay. The other thing we haven't talked about is just general access, yeah. which is yeah. probably the bigger thing with a smaller people or fan stuff or just anything else when it comes to things of like just general access. Yeah. Like you, you don't, you don't need a bottle of wine to make you give it a good score when you're terrified. They're going to pull your access card. Yep. That's mm -hmm. not saying that you that that makes people less honest, but it is something that like you think. I think the first time I turned in, like I think I gave a I think I gave like a four to Men in Black or something like that, and it was like mm -hmm. our first time like on that specific studio, and I was like, oh god, are they gonna pull it away from me now? <laughs> do they not want me yeah. to do this? And which is, well, I was gonna say, which is just something that like when you talk to like actual people at the trades they're like how could you ever think like that how could you do that mm -hmm. even when it comes to like the press packages how could you ever take anything how could you do something it was like well we don't get paid yeah and we don't you, have we don't have all the access you have vc money you can rag on every movie you want before they come out and you're still going to get access because you're a trade yeah and it's kind mm -hmm. of those that people don't understand when you start trickling down of like one, guess what? Influencer guy got, you know, $200,000 to go make some dumb video yelling, yeah, this was the greatest thing I ever yeah. saw. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I'm going to mm -hmm. take the bottle of freaking vodka because I didn't, I made $0 and my review was whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, yeah, I was like, this man's rich and I got a bottle of vodka. Congratulations. Yeah. My honesty's gone out the window. <laughs> yeah, and I but, think yeah. like it, it, when you like kind of step back and you look at the way that like a lot of the stuff functions is i think the largest takeaway for me is like rotten tomatoes isn't the problem the larger mm -hmm. issue is pr because again if yes. pr oh, pulls absolutely. something for you because you gave something a negative review and then they never give you a movie again that is pr strong arming you into giving more positive reviews for access pr by um, not just like buying reviews but like i have had it happen where pr will be like 
this sounded kind of positive. Do you think you could switch it to a fresh instead of a rotten? And I'm like, no, go go after no. something. I'm not like, I, I told you the three things that I liked, and then the rest of the review I ragged on it, and exactly. so that's why it's a four out of ten. And, and, and that happens a lot. And then some of the other things that will happen is like PR will read through your tweets, like certain DC movies I haven't gotten access to, and it's because of my tweets, I can tell. Um, but like because they're doing their like half of it is them doing their jobs as publicists in that mm-hmm. if you know somebody is going to hate this thing why would you give them access but because they are in the position to grant access it is it it, it is them pretty much abusing their power of that and trying to push people mm-hmm. into not talking about controversies around the movie or not um just not engaging as critically and I think that yeah. that is one of the larger pieces. So, like, I do think that, like, paying for reviews, obviously, is bad. I also, like, we've known that that has been happening forever, especially at horror outlets. Like, a lot of the time for, like, the small, like, B-horror movies. Mm-hmm. Like, we know that that has been happening. But the larger issue here isn't Rotten Tomatoes and the review that went up on it. The issue here is, like, the power that PR has in this process to just decimate a site if they don't go with what they want. Yep. And to be fair, like we talked about of the actual PR manipulation yeah. and just usage of the stuff. Like you said, yeah. we have five reviews. Mm-hmm. It's now rotten. For, it's now forever done. Every, every like, what was it? At a, what was the stupid, what's the, the terrible film in France? Canes. Everything had Can. a standing of it. Canes, I don't care. They're terrible. They had, a, they had a standing ovation for every single thing, and half of those movies were awful. And yep. they come out, which he, he does touch on of how, like, festivals, the way they come out of, versus um yeah thing, festival which, movie is premiering at 90 percent, and then once it's been in the public eye for a month it's at 40 yeah which i mean it's there's obvious reasons behind that obviously for what you're doing at a festival yeah. and who goes to festivals for various both good and bad self-selecting audiences yes it's self-selecting I mean, audience this is also why you shouldn't trust rotten tomatoes yeah. immediately because the the people who are being kept out of the room by pr are the ones who are then going to go spend their own money to see the film and then write a review yeah. and post it a week after the movie's been out mm-hmm. like any rotten tomato score fresh out the gate is not worth trusting right. um you know like i rem- i don't know if you guys remember this but when like a single person after like a hundred reviews had gone up wrote a negative review of get out yeah. Um, but it was it was just that one review. But it's like, well, now it's not a hundred percent. Now we got to take it down to like ninety nine. But it was like a big thing, and it was if I remember right, it was just like some guy who like as a hobby had like a pretty like full film blog, or he or maybe he wrote for a paper. But it was basically if I remember right, just like an old guy who the movie didn't connect with him. Um, I don't think he got like racist about it. I think he just thought it was kind of a mess yeah. of a movie, and so. He was like, yeah, like it's it's fine, but it's not great. And then that tanked it, but people got so upset. And I'm like, but that's probably the more accurate image of that film yeah. well, is that it was not universally beloved by all. It was like insanely well received, but not for everyone. Yeah. And I like, I mean, I had I, I tanked uh, Licorice Pizza score because I was the only one. They deserved I think, it. <laughs> I think for a month I was the only rotten and I got. I got all the emails no, and all I love the DMs that you did that. and I got told not to be a critic anymore. And that's the thing too, that like I don't think that there is a lot of understanding. Some critic told you you didn't know how to write. Yes. Uh, like peers. Like that's the thing. Like the licorice pizza stuff wasn't 
it was Piers doing yeah. that too. Um, anyway, like saying that, like I do think that like when we stop and we look at Rotten Tomatoes, like that is like we have a PR side, we have a, the critic side, and then we also have mm-hmm. like the people which we've talked about before. You can go back and listen to those episodes of like uh, critics versus fans episode, where you have the fans who just absolutely oh, you're certified raw, uh, you're a certified Rotten Tomatoes critic. That's all I needed to hear. Like that type of stuff where like people yeah. automatically go at you if you don't think one way or the other. I think my favorite thing is when somebody will pull a high score and gave a movie that they don't like and they're like, ha, I can't take you seriously. You gave X movie this score. Fair. It is fun to do that if you ever It, it is fun to do that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. but, I, but, and so like we have essentially overappreciated aggregators because from the PR side, you need them to market your movie. Mm-hmm. From the critic side, we need to be like when when we got Rotten Tomatoes as a publication, like we worked really hard to get to that oh, space. Yeah. Um, but we needed it because we need that traffic. Like we need that traffic to survive as a site. And then you have fans who just like either using it to fight with people online to bolster I like this, I don't like this, or to just like find mm-hmm. me and then like send me need messages. Yeah. <laughs> and but it's all because we've overappreciated this tool, like a tool that yeah. is benign and doing nothing um it's how we use it and i think every arm uses yes. it in different ways i think pr well, feeds the most into the system but yeah. everybody interacts w- with it in a different way well because we didn't even talk about the way pr will not sometimes give access if you were not a right, yes critic. yeah 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 like i've had to tell my writer because before like for a lot of the reviews on our site i was reviewing like 90% of the films and that was because like PR would only give it to me because I had Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. and then when we would bring in more people that had Rotten Tomatoes it would go to them but now there was a whole site my writers can send off a request for a screener and just like hey it will be indexed on Rotten Tomatoes because now they're on there and like yeah. that it's dumb but doors. that's just sadly the way they do it yeah it mm-hmm. is um, which yeah I'll, I'll oh go for it no I was gonna say like which ultimately like because of that vested interest from pr like the opening broadening the scope of rotten tomatoes also like i can say for sure changed the access that i got like yeah it's, I, it's massive. I came in in the latino push that they did when they realized there were no brown people yeah <laughs> and uh, yeah and so it's just one of those things where so i do have a question since here can we talk about this should they be phasing out people yes yes well, yes. Okay, what is the um, criteria for that, I guess? I think if you don't write for more than six months, you shouldn't be So that I'm okay with, because I do think there's a problem. People just do not write for a long time and allow their stuff, and then they kind of pop up occasionally. Mm-hmm. Do stuff. But I mean, like, because overall, because the funny thing is we talk about, like, the influx of people, and they talk about, like, all oh, white dudes and stuff. But so what they also talked about when they did this, because you said 66 represented, they still added white people. And one, one, people need to... Remember that also you to be inclusive, you still have to add younger generations of people um, just because there's seven old chads. Maybe you should get rid of some of the seven old chads and replace with a new chad instead of just saying no more chads. <laughs> um, I know it sounds dumb, but like, no, the point being of like, you know, demographic of age and everything else does play a role. And then as mm-hmm. people come up, especially where you come up with writing, because mm-hmm. before, like we talked about, like, oh, I'm assuming a lot of these older people, they also went to school, did a lot of stuff, which we're seeing untraditional, as they call it, mm-hmm. routes for people to do film criticism, which is both, once again, good and bad. Sometimes it's great because yep. we get more opportunity. It's also bad because some of you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, 
But the point being of, and so why I brought that up of like, at what point, what should we, if there, if we are, I think non-writing should be filtered out, but for people who do writing, like, should there be a filtration out of a system of just like, it sucks because I think they're, they're movies for like everybody at some point, but like these movies, we, we see it happen, especially in particular genres and it's happened for many, many years. And it makes sad of like rom-coms get terrified on you know any type of teenage movie kids movies particular like they just get yeah. decimated in these scores which will obviously one shows the, the fault of the tool but also that's more of a user error more than the tool error yeah. and so like when it comes to filtering out people if you're wanting to get a more i guess representative like the modern society of film criticism i guess of like should there be any criteria of filtering people out outside of not writing yeah i know that was a long-winded mm-hmm. question error yeah, I don't know what the answer to that is. I mean, I definitely see the argument for, like, if you stopped reviewing, then you don't get to just come back whenever you want. Yeah, like, you have to go through to the process again. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that might not necessarily be like, okay, you need to write for two years again before we bring you back in, but something like, hey, can you show that you're committed to coming yeah. back? You know, yeah. can you do six months of steady reviews or something? Well, um, I think, like, I guess for me, like, when it comes to like, those issues is, like, that subjective. There could be, like, a 65-year-old man whose, like, favorite movie is When Harry Met Sally and really no. likes Last Holiday. Like, that, that, that I, is that's a That's a problem. I, I don't yeah. think that's and so wrong. Kind of, and so, like, that's the thing that sucks <laughs> is, like, there is no clear-cut way. But I think that, like, that onus for the specific issue you were talking about is on editorial teams and not on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I don't think Rotten yes. Tomatoes can adjust for that. I think that that like that is a failing of people commissioning critics who should not be writing about that thing <laughs> to write about that thing. Like I don't write about war movies. We got somebody on our site who does because I just I don't know. Which is um, kind of the other thing we didn't talk. We talked about people how we got better like you know more focus of the stuff, but also I've seen a lot of pages. People are a lot more fresh than they are rotten. And part of that, I think, one film criticism or whatever you want to talk about, because we talk about media literacism, yeah, media so, that problem. But what we also did not touch on is people tend to just write, want to watch what they want to watch, and especially if you were saying yeah. controlling what you have control, like you're not in yeah. a trade where they're like, you are assigned to these five movies, and I hope that these are what you like. Versus, I can choose the five movies I want to review yeah. this month. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily a problem. Well, I, mean, I don't. Like but it's... what it does is it does make average scores across yeah. the entire thing go higher and higher and higher. So everything at an end is higher yeah. and higher. So does is every movie that good? I don't yeah. think well, it's the biggest so... problem. Is what you're making it personally? No. I, I think like, it I... just means a a review goes to something that somebody thought they were gonna like over something that they knew they weren't. And so Which, like, I, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's kind of like that IGN thing that people got mad at them for, where it's like, yeah, we give a lot of sevens. We also only review the things that we know will probably either do well or no, writers want to do. And that is yeah. like, our site does the same thing. So it is one of those pieces where like, I don't necessarily think that you just need to have like, oh, you must have 50-50 rotten and fresh like score. Well, should you have a 90%? Fresh to rotten, ninety five percent. Because some so people, Metacritic, I've done before, I, and I've counted people that have been up to like ninety five percentile. I, I I personally hmm. don't care because if you're okay. literally only choosing to review stuff that you want to watch and not wasting your time with other things, that's perfectly yeah. fine. I I don't like being in a critics org because my fall 
is just me watching all of the movies I avoided throughout the rest of the year because I didn't want to yep. watch them because they're usually not my typical movie that I want to watch. And that like, that's just kind of how Well, I guess is. that comes into the weird so moral thing of like, do you owe that, that as a critic to the whatever made up? If you're, if, if you're, in, if you are voting <laughs> for awards, yes, you need to watch it. Right. If you are voting for awards, you watch all the movies that are on your submission ticket. If you're not, I don't care. Like, if Can you talk to the Oscars? <laughs> Gosh. Well, the Oscars yeah. don't watch them, so why do you? <laughs> like, I mean, it, they should, they though. They should. Um, but no, and, and that's the thing. I think what you're looking at, I, I believe Metacritic has it to where you can't outswing an average score more than X. I don't remember what it actually is. But so Metacritic for video games, what we're on, um, they have it to where you can't wildly swing outside of what consensus gotcha. is more than X amount of times. And before they start investigating. Yeah. Like... And so, yeah, well, and so essentially even to get onto the platform, you can't be overwhelmingly positive or overwhelmingly negative. Right. That puts you out of the swing. And that's how they judge that. So, I mean, I think from a publication standpoint, that makes sense. I don't think that makes sense on an individual critic that's piecing out their stuff and maybe doesn't want to take the stupid war movie that they really do not care about. Yeah. So then we should, should we limit then where freelancers are able to publish from then? No. You have a problem with this. I don't have a problem with this. No, I'm also asking because, but the other question we had basically was basically the Sound of Freedom movie. We had Epoch News and basically Nazi Jason's websites. And we already got that because people were able to go and find somebody to take this review. Who was a, yeah. Because they didn't have, they weren't publication. So the one thing that I don't think that we, so I don't think you need to limit freelancers in a sense in that, like, it should only be approved publications that can get something to write, because I think that that is mm-hmm. way harder and limits the pool way too much. Right. What I do think is there should be a list of Nazi-adjacent websites that you don't <laughs> yeah. send people to. That seems like maybe don't let Nazis on the platform. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is just simple. Like, if you have, like, uh, Bounding into Comics or, like, any, like, Geeks and Gamers, like, any of mm-hmm. those things that are breaking, because there is a code of conduct for Rotten Tomatoes that when you apply, they go through your social media, they go through all of these things. And so, if they're going to do that for freelancers, they should do that for the publications that freelancers are writing for, regardless if that publication is going through the approval process. Because they do it for yeah. the approval processes if you are submitting as a publication. They don't do it if you're a freelancer who is just picking up a site. You just get to put it on there. So, yeah, no, my answer is don't ha- have a list that's like, hey, these are Nazi adjacent to Nazi. They can't be here. <laughs> yeah. That seems like a simple fix. It really, it really does. And that's, I mean, I I didn't think that deplatforming Nazis was going to be something that I would have to like push for as an adult, uh, <laughs> but here I am. Uh, I guess the last thing, I guess for me, because obviously we talked about broadening thing, and I think the overall yeah. number one issue we talked to outside of PR, just manipulation, is the yeah. general fact that it's yes or no. Would yeah. Rotten Tomatoes yeah. be it's better limiting. or worse if they, if they had a middle one? Well, that, the thing that I like about the yes or no is that it allows for sites that don't give numbered reviews or yes. lettered or graded reviews. Um, but I they still do have to do something, though. Because yeah. you have to submit yeah. a fresh not, not having a yellow tomato is frustrating. 
Like I, 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 I think like I don't think we need scores because I do think that there are some films that are yeah. very hard to score a lot of the times with subject matter and that type of stuff. But you can say well, if it like was a anything... good or bad movie. But like there are a lot of mid movies. Like I don't mid movies like, or movies where my... the critic and audience don't match. Yeah, and also that like, is what, okay. So that's one thing that I've noticed over the year, and I think this is why Rotten Tomatoes has become a bigger and bigger thing is the critic and audience ratio. Seem to be getting larger and larger because for the longest time it was like ET at like forty percent or something like that was the largest mix match or something like that, and now we're getting like eighty, like seventy five percent mismatches mm-hmm. and like that is just wild. And obviously, you he mentions in here like I think he, I think he mentioned there maybe there's something else, but mentions like we've always had bad campaigns or good campaigns, whatever. Yeah. But like it has been wild of seeing how some of these score like you know you can argue ten, fifteen, twenty percent. But like when we start getting like the 30, 40%, 50%, 60% for random, for like just a lot yeah. of general I mean, movies, you almost, it isn't weird. You almost need to read it differently of like critics are saying, is this good? And audiences are saying, is this fun? Um, and not that there well, are people there who are, are some putting, critics like, that just say that too. Because you don't put Well, that, yeah, that's true. And maybe <laughs> that's another thing that we need to add to get the yellow tomato is like, is this just fun, but not quality? Like there are movies that I love that I know are not quality film. They're not groundbreaking art. But I had a good time watching them. Huh. And like, you know, how does how does that get reflected in a binary system? It doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, too, is like even outside of a binary system, I don't think that is always necessarily reflective in a score either. Like I can give a seven to the movie and be like it like mm-hmm. it's a it's a solid seven because it was a lot of fun and I really enjoyed it. But I also know that this is going to be everybody's like, you know, like it, it's kind of never really going to be captured. Mm-hmm. I don't think Rotten Tomatoes needs to mandate a score. I do think they need a yellow tomato. Like, I think, yeah. just give me mid like the, yeah, they do being just need, like, able an undecided... to just say something is mid. So to me for that is kind of like I think we'd probably that would fix a lot of these higher tech yeah. scores because I do think mm-hmm. a lot of people just on the end they're like hey this was fine fun had some moments fresh. and it's easy and it's just probably call, like a 5 just, out of 10 6 yeah. out of 10 but fresh that's all because well, if it's a 5 you get to pick if it's a fresh 5 or a rotten yeah. 5 um, I think like literally just call it it's on the vine it's that's good yeah. on the vine <laughs> give it a little yet like a little orangey yellow tomato and mm-hmm. boom you're good so do and honestly make everything start on the vine and negative reviews tilt it rotten and positive reviews tilt it yeah. fresh like because then movies can't premiere at fresh they premiere it on the vine and that is their only option well look they've been trying to do that for college football for about 50 years and we learned that money too much involved for them not to do that. that okay. Yeah, that sounds that's right. That's why we have preseason polls, which make no sense. But gotcha. I do have a question. Do y'all have your own way you interpret Rotten Tomatoes? Cause I know well, Kate, so, cause Kate and I have done this before and I've told her mine yeah. before, which I don't know if you want me to go first or y'all can, you if can y'all have first. a version, you can go. You can go first. Okay. So basically I've done the whole thing. Like anything below like a 15 is automatically terrible and I refuse to watch it. And the funny thing <laughs> is that it never let me down. Anything between like that 15 to probably maybe 40, I'm like, there's a hope. This is like that one, like Jim Carrey and uh, Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. There, there's a chance. And some of those movies, fine. And I think it's very much dependent on genre. And I also know. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. The 40s, probably 40. The 40 to 70, very genre. Pretty decent. Probably that I would probably decently like, depending on what it mm-hmm. is. And then obviously as you get higher, 
I think we get to like animation, anything that's animated and below 90, I'm like, oh, this has got to be terrible because y'all be giving every yeah. Pixar movie like a 90 because y'all love them, eat that kid shit up. I would say a Pixar movie below a 90 is terrible. Not all animation mm-hmm. because Pixar gets swayed vastly different than other animation okay, studios. and Disney, whatever, and like that. those, fine. Yeah, um, But no, sure. like, it's funny because I get to the top, that's where I end up looking of like, what type of movie is this? Like, if it's a Illumination 94... has been unrightfully <laughs> Yes. Attacked. Right, but no, but like, I think of like Disney and then Pixar and I think even DreamWorks, like if you're below a 90, I'm like, oh, you must be terrible because you all always mm-hmm. get that thing. But no, those are kind of like my general kind of things. Yeah, I... I'm not too different. I think if it's like, you know, 20 or below, I'm like, I'm probably not going to watch this, but everything else is genre. Cause like somebody put it to me once, um, an IMDb six on a horror movie is a pretty good horror movie. Like just the way that people tend to rate horror, um, because horror will get rated by people from outside of the community who maybe don't know what it is they're engaging with to sound very snobbish about horror. Um, and so, yeah, like if a horror movie has like a 60% on Rotten Tomato, I'm like, eh, I might like it. I'll have to see for myself. And honestly, most of the time, that's where I end up after looking at Rotten Tomatoes is I have to decide for myself. Yeah, like, that's how I'm, I, with, I'm with the adventure for you. So I hold out and everybody's like, oh, this is an Indiana Jones. Like, we get it, man. We get it. But still, I want an adventure movie. I'm sorry y'all killed it. One, a I'm a trash can. I don't care if I watch bad things. I you just need them to. I watch bad things. That's fine. But I need them to vibe with me. Like, I watch everything in, like, rom-coms, actions, and horror movies. Like, if it is in those three things, I don't care about their score at all. And, in fact, like, those three things are often scored really badly. And I, quite frankly, do not trust Rotten Tomatoes on action scores. Because it's primarily Mm -hmm. American critics. And Americans don't know what good action movies are. Um, that's my hot take. Yep. Don't trust them. Um, and, and I think because like they're like, because I'm a large genre fan, um, I think sci-fi also falls into this. I primarily just don't look at Rotten Tomatoes for really anything. Like, I think I'll only use it if like I'm in a conversation with somebody like Rotten Tomatoes is probably more of like a conversation starter, but I just don't care what other people have to say. Yes. Also, I think I'm in a I'm in a specific position where I'm putting myself on Rotten Tomatoes. So a lot of the time, I don't actually know what the ratings of the movies are that yeah. I'm watching before I watch them. So that's sure. a very like naive ignorance is bliss position. That's kind of nice though to just go in and enjoy but it. And I will say it, you it is wrong. funny you said like <laughs> I don't read the reviews, and I was like that was kind of part of the point of like devaluing the critic for the scores. Yeah. Well, in a different so, way but well, yes. no, yeah but but this is the thing too like this is what i recommend people to do like so rotten tomatoes i fully admit that the reason that i think it's really important for sites is because it's how we get traffic and access we would not have the traffic yep. nor the access that we have right now if we weren't able to bust down those doors and it's get onto exposure. rotten tomatoes mm-hmm. it's exposure outside of that i trust very specific critics for very specific genres, and that's who I go to. I think the only time I use Rotten Tomatoes is during award season when mm-hmm. I'm trying to make a list, a, a watching order of ah, okay. the movies that I already didn't want to watch throughout the year. That make, no, that makes sense. And then it's kind of like this, like the highest one will be the first, and I try to kind of stagger them so I'm not just like burning myself down into a pit of why am I watching this yeah. stupid Oscar bait drama. Um, 
But yeah, so no, I, I do think I devalue Rotten Tomatoes. I, I don't think I, de- I devalue reviews, though. I just do it in the way that everybody claims to do it, where, like, I have people that I trust that I read their reviews for. Yeah. That makes sense. And actually, this Matt, you have unintentionally brought us to what I thought was a, a good quote from the article to close on, which is, uh, what this suggests is that viewers may have developed their own formulas for choosing movies in which tomato meter <laughs> scores are just one important variable. And it's like, yeah, man, that's what we've been trying to get to this whole time is it's not the end all be all. People don't live and die by it. Yeah, like, but those Twitter a, news accounts tool. need to make money. They need to make your engagement <laughs> money. Because Daddy did Elon we, gives did we money just for get engagement. it so hard that we, we did. did an hour-long review of an article. We did, we did. Uh, that in, in the Rotten Tomatoes spirit. Um, no, yeah. I, I I do want to say, like by and large, Rotten Tomatoes has done a lot of good. I think for of sure. the aggregators that are out there and of the platforms that are out there, they have taken a lot of time to correct a lot of the ills that they have had, specifically in their critic base. There's mm-hmm. like, there's still work to be done, obviously. Oh, yeah. Remove the Nazi websites, please. Um, which is not something I thought I would say, I would have to say. Yeah, but um, like toss the Nazis, honestly. Yeah. Um, but that's how many said, F-bombs I... do we get per episode? <laughs> I think we've used them. We're <laughs> okay, yeah, I will, I'll, I'll keep my um, mouth shut. <laughs> um,. But no, I I do think that, like, one, I wish people just did not take Rotten Tomatoes as seriously because you don't need to be sending death threats to somebody because they didn't like a movie or because they liked a movie. I think that everybody should just go watch a thing and be like, oh, I didn't like it, and then go about their day. And then not read the scores where people liked it. Because that doesn't, like, it's not going to make you like it by you just reading all the blurbs of people who did. So, yeah, I'm going to go the complete opposite way of Kate. I think you should go on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> all the time. You should one, send death threats. Well, you know what? I take hate clicks around here. But no, you should click on all of those articles. You should read all of those reviews and you should see who's on there. And if you don't like it, read their review. And you know what? If you don't like it even more, share it. Share the link. Don't even copy paste it. That's just weak. Share the link everywhere you say. I take clicks around here and I want people to read your reviews. And I like when people say you are all wrong. Because you know why? That means all of you are reading it and you are passionate and you'll come back and read it more on how we tell you that you all have no idea what you're talking about. To be honest, though, the funniest thing is our hate, like my licorice pizza, that entire award season, like it was five times, six times the amount of views of any other article I did praising any other Oscar movie. And yeah, hate clicks. They, yeah, boo me more. If you like the article, share it as well. If you hate it, share it even more. Yeah, I I do wonder if people yeah. like who got angry at, at people online like realize that their anger online is actually getting the writers paid. Yeah. Um, well, I mean that's question. the whole in that the whole joke. I paid a freelancer to tell you your favorite thing with dog shit, so that you will all be mad and then click on it a thousand times because Google and Facebook broke the marketing. One hundred percent. But also, just know, read the reviews. Genuinely read the reviews. They take a long time to write. Yes, like, please. Yeah. <laughs> Don't just scroll to the bottom and look for like the three positives and three negatives. Just like yeah. read the review, get those things in context. Uh, reviewing is in and of itself its own effort and work. Uh, and 
we support and respect labor in this house. Yes. Uh, also, and reviews are labor. To, to Matt's point, if you disagree with me, don't tell me something that I wrote about that. That don't tell me I didn't talk about something that is right there in my article. At least click it and yes. actually know what I said before you're mad. If you want to fight, come prepared. Don't yes. just be like, I can't believe you didn't address this. Uh, but yeah, that does it for this week. Uh, before we go, do you guys have any reviews or media that you want to recommend and plug? I'm a Souls-like girly now. I love them. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I've played I played Wolong this year. Just got done playing Liza P. My 8 out of 5, uh, my 8.5 out of 10 review is up. I actually think I underscored it. I've been thinking about it for a while. I'm, I'll um, play it based on that. It, it's a real good, uh, it's a South Korean uh, studio called Neowiz. They developed a Souls-like set in an adapted fairy tale land from Pinocchio. Um, and it's real good. Real, real good. Real beautiful. All real right. fun. Big Bloodborne vibes. Uh, but yeah, I like Souls Into like it. now. Um, go play Liza P. It's free on Game Pass. It's not It's, oh, yeah, it's not it. made in Unity either. So like, it'll stay up. Even, even better. Uh, Matt, do you have anything you want to tell people yeah, to check out? Um, future class for 2023 is opened and Kate should be nominated. And I'm going to throw her in there. And so all of you should go yes. to the Game Awards Thank Jeff Keeley of dot coms of the world and nominate our loving co-host and founder of person mm-hmm. Kate Sanchez. And you put Catherine or Kate and then all of her information is there and should nominate her for all the work from either a, but why though of which you were listening to this podcast or, or her actual day job in DEI where she gets to explain and hire random people of the future of gaming, which is supposed to be a future class is supposed to be. And she's now above like 30, which means she's clearly qualified for the future. Yes. They don't actually pick anybody young, just for people from like 30 and above. Um, Hell yeah. Honestly, and- that's good. I'm not even going to do my recommendation <laughs> because I want that message to sit with people. Um, but if you guys liked I what you heard here. I love my wife. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you guys liked what you heard, if you want more, uh, first of all, thank Kate because she built this. Uh, and then also... Go check us out, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch. Um, drop us likes, give us retweets, um, comment, subscribe. Podcast reviews are huge. Uh, and the bigger thing you can do is you can give us money to keep the site going through patreon.com. Um, and again, just send Kate all of your thanks and praise for what she has built here and go nominate her. Um, and you can find all of us on social media, I think is the other thing that we do to close this out. I'm on Twitter at most always Alex, but that's not important. I know that Matt doesn't want to be found. Kate, where are you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at oh my myth randier. Remember that because you need that for the nomination or <laughs> handle. Yeah. And that's actually also you can find Matt at oh my myth man myth randier at on Twitter. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye.